You are listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Rootbound gets support from Spanish moss. It's not Spanish, it's not moss, but it is dangly. Spanish moss, the epiphyte with the memorable but inaccurate name. Hi, everyone. I am Steve, and I am the host of this podcast, Rootbound, which is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. And each week, I invite a guest to join me on the show and to share with us all about a plant that means something to them. And then I share with the guest about a plant that means something to me. And through this process, we can all learn more about plants and learn more about each other. I have a little bit of vocabulary for you today. I learned a new word, which is something I do quite often at the beginning of the show. And the word I have for you today is abscission. Abscission. Now, abscission, uh, according to Wikipedia, is from the Latin ab, which means away, and cindere, to cut. Abscission. And abscission is the process by which plants shed their organs, which is pretty interesting um, thing to think about, but it's actually... Pretty obvious, uh, when trees lose their leaves in the fall, that is a form of abscission, but it can also apply to fruit, uh, when, when trees purposely drop their fruit, abscission, and in the case of today's episode, I'm, I was more interested in the abscission of the petals of a flower, because if you've seen many plants in the spring, uh, at a certain point, all of the petals fall to the ground, and I was curious about that process, and, uh, and it's really interesting. I'm reading a quote from an article that's called Molecular Feedback Loop Gives Clues to How Flowers Drop Their Petals. And there is a quote in here that says, As a flower matures, cells in the abscission zone begin to separate from one another along the entire length of it, the zone, creating a clean rift between the base of the flower and the petals. As the rift enlarges, the petals will fall off and be sent tumbling to the ground. So the plant kind of like separates these cells from each other and like separates the petal from itself. I think a similar process happens with a leaf. It's just a pretty interesting process in plants. It's not something that's very analogous in humans. It's like it's like if every, you know, spring all your hair fell out and then it grew back, you know, <laughs> regularly and it's like your body specifically said, okay, all the hair fall out now. Um, but, you know, in a plant that can't move, that can't, you know, uh, do the things in real time like humans can, it's, a, I think, a useful process to be able to to grow a useful part like the petal, which attracts pollinators. And then when you are done pollinating all of your flowers, those petals don't need to stick around anymore. So it says, okay, well, we're not going to waste energy on these. Let's just abscise them. (laughs) So anyway, that's the word abscission. And uh, both of the plants we're going to be talking about today um, have very beautiful abscission processes. So let's get right to that and meet our guest. One by one. Drop like my tears, the petals drop. Though you said we'd never part, the falling petals drop and break my heart. The falling petals drop and break my heart. 
Hey, Angel, welcome to Rootbound. Hey, uh, nice to happy to be here. Do you have a plant to share with us today? Yeah, so the plant that I've decided to share um, today is the jacaranda. Um, I chose this plant because it, it's been very interesting to me over time, like how you go to a lot of cities around the world and there's cherry blossoms. Um, but I'm, I'm originally from uh, Mexico and I lived in Mexico City for a long time. And Mexico City is actually one of the greenest cities that I've ever lived in. And they have a lot of like flowering trees, but they're not cherry blossoms, they're jacarandas. And so it's become a thing for me that you just over time see them uh, blossoming in, like in the street there. And, and it reminds me of home quite a bit. That's really funny. So, you know, uh, you might not have heard that episode, but we, on the winter episode of the podcast, no, the spring episode of the podcast recently, we were talking about cherry blossoms and your sister specifically brought up Jacarandas as the uh, as the uh, kind of Mexico City equivalent of the cherry blossoms. So, uh, my, the, the, the enjoying the the Jacarandas or uh, we can say Jacarandas. I'm, I'm okay pronouncing that, that J like an H on this podcast. If you want, up to you though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, We'll see how it comes out. <laughs> okay, that's cool. But yeah, anyway, must run in the family of enjoying that that plant. So um, we we only mentioned it briefly in that episode. So I still don't know much about them. I mean, I I know what they look like personally, but I'm happy to hear any other things. So yeah, first let's um let's um talk a little bit more about like maybe why the plant is meaningful to you. Maybe any memories about it. Like yeah, what's the deal with these jacarandas or jacarandas? I mean, I think they're just meaningful to me because. It kind of symbolized the the coming of of spring whenever I was living there. Um, like there would, and I think one of the funny things about them is that they are very messy plants. So you'll see, especially like in Mexico City, it rains all the time. So after a rain in the spring or whatever, you will see the ground covered in purple. And like this tree still have a lot of the flowers, but like the ground is covered in purple as well. Um, so so it makes for a really nice scenery. Um, I think one of the annoying bits about it, though, is like if you happen to park under one of the trees, they do get covered in like this mush and sap. But other than that, like I think they're very beautiful plants, and and I think it it has a very Mexico City vibe to me. Um, I, and I haven't really seen them in many places, or at least as prolifically in many other places. So it, I, I really like that. Very good. And then maybe for our audience who hasn't seen them, can you describe the tree a little bit? And also maybe you mentioned purple, but can you describe the flowers a little bit more in detail? Yeah. So like they're, they're large trees. Um, I don't really know like a good way to reference the size for them. Sure. But they're, they're large. They're, they're about like house sized, um, I guess, tall wise. And like they, and, and they have like large extending canopies, I guess. Um, brown, very greenish leaves um like it's a it's like a very they're they're small leaves um and, and like in little groups and the they have these little flowers that are that are purple it's like a very um it's just like a very specific kind of purple um and they're they're cone-shaped very fragrant very interesting i just was googling the leaves and yeah oh the leaves are kind of like the leaves it almost looks like fern like leaves i would say yeah 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 so they uh, have the little like fern like groupings uh on them and like they they're also like very hanging there so you do get I a believe, lot of like the, the leaves falling off i believe and this is like some of the very little like super high-end botanical uh language i have but i believe you would call these leaves 
bipinnately compound leaves. Um, so, yeah. That <laughs> uh, Interesting. The, the, the plant that I'm talking about has only, only pinnately compound leaves, not bipinnately compound leaves. So, um, these, these, so these are, it looks like, well, I'm not 100% sure about this, but they look like they're leaflets. So it's a leaf that's made up of many leaves. So you have this mm-hmm. like long thing. And from that long thing, par- uh, parallel from it comes these other leaves. But those things have little leaves on them too, coming out their yeah. side. So that's why it's, bi- so pinnate means uh, feather-like. So things mm-hmm. coming off a, a central core. And if you have something that's pinnate, you ha- it's a compound leaf. So it's a leaf made up of many leaves, but the leaves kind of come off the sides. This is bipinnately, so it's a pinnate leaf that has pinnate leaflets on it. That's the I that's I I know very little of this, but this literally goes back to like the first episode of the podcast where I learned the term bipinnately compound. So I'm very happy. To that's use interesting. That. So you have some level of recursion in it. Um, and and yes, ex- uh, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, yeah. yeah I, I was, that was actually started. about to ask you that. Um, like, what makes something like bipinnate or like pinnate? Uh, and yeah, yeah. That, that, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So that yes, yeah, so that's really interesting. Um, they're, yeah, they're cool. So I yeah, I didn't actually realize the leaves were also uh, these compound leaves, like in the plant I'm going to talk about uh, a little bit. So that's that's a good coincidence. Yeah. No. Agreed. Do you, Do you have some fun facts and dazzling details about the hakaranda? Yeah. So I actually I think the the big like interesting fun fact that I learned is like because I was wondering to myself like why are there cherry blossoms everywhere? But in Mexico City, there happened to be another plant. And so the history behind this is that there was a there was a Mexican president in the 1900s, Alvaro Obregón, that he traveled around the world and he's like, hey, I want some cherry trees in my city. And so there was like a landscape architect for the I guess it was for the presidential palace. And he was a Japanese uh, landscape architect, Tetsugoro Matsumoto. Um, And so he he commissioned him with like figuring out how to make it happen. And this guy said, like, no, you're crazy. Like, the winters are not cold enough for cherry blossoms. But he kind of wanted to at least fulfill something um, with sort of like make something happen there. And so he he decided to end up on Jacarandas. And that's how they spread all over Mexico City. So, yeah, that that, that reminds Yeah, I remember your sister mentioned that briefly. It, it was like a it was like, well, we can't do the cherry blossoms. So let's. Let's pick a better tree. Um, and so apparently jacarandas can grow better, uh, clearly grow way better <laughs> in Mexico City. Yeah. And so like he, he had some um, seeds and saplings brought in from Brazil and just planted them everywhere, especially like the main like parts of the city around the presidential palace. Very interesting. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's uh, kind of an interesting history of like around that time there was lots of like uh, movement, purposeful movement of plants and like engineering where plants are planted and stuff like that. It's a very fascinating time. As cherry blossoms in DC are like that too, right? They were, they're not native here. They, they came from Japan and were purposely planted. And I think that's happens in a bunch of places. Very interesting. Um, I was just looking up the, the, um, scientific name of Hakaranda because I was curious to see if it was like related to the plant I was talking about. And, and it's not, but do you, do you have that? Do you know that? Or, or I can say it too, but yeah, so it's a uh, jacaranda mimosifolia. Yeah, that is so funny, and I'm wondering if so. That stood out to me because the same episode that I talked about with a bipinnately compound on the very first episode of the show was about the mimosa plant, 
And mm-hmm. so mimosa folia means mimosa leafed. And these leaves oh, do look like the mimosa flower or the mimosa plant leaf. So the that I, I assume I'm not I'm not reading the Wikipedia enough, but I assume that's why they gave it that scientific name is because the the leaves look like the mimosa plant and so it is the mimosa leaf takaranda. So that's pretty funny. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and, and so Overall, like, I do think it's a very interesting plant because, I mean, just like cherry blossoms, it kind of symbolizes the beginning of spring once you start seeing them sprout up uh, everywhere in Mexico City. So it does have some pretty cool memories. Very cool. Do you have any other uh, fun facts or dazzling details about the jacaranda? Um, I think as far as, like, main facts, that's all I had. But one of the things that surprised me was it actually grows in multiple places in the world. So even as far as like South Africa and Australia, I thought it was it was more um, indigenous to the Americas, um, but it's everywhere apparently. Yeah, I, I, well, I imagine it was like exported, I guess, for maybe similar reasons to... Um, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 the only time I... Well, I've never been to Mexico City in the spring. I mentioned that in the last episode too, for some reason. Well, whenever Carl and I come visit, it's it's... Christmas, right? So I've never seen, I don't think I've ever seen a blossoming jacaranda um, in Mexico City, but uh, a few years ago we were in Spain and and there was a ton of jacarandas and it, the flowers were just falling and, and I got that impression of the purple all over the ground there. Yeah, so in Mexico City, it's actually like all of the main avenues are aligned with it. So it just it's crazy how purple the city looks during that time of the year, um, especially around the Angel, down Reforma. Like it, it is completely like bathed in purple and yeah so i and i think yeah so like it even it is native to south america um and it got introduced to other parts including mexico but it was actually introduced and naturalized everywhere from like the u.s australia new zealand south africa and some mediterranean countries wow wow that's uh that's a very um a very uh what's the word i'm looking for it's a tree it is very resilient. It can it can survive in lots of different places, which not every tree has can. Yeah, so they actually like now that you mentioned resilience, they are somewhat of a symbol of Mexico City's resilience um, and ability to adapt to new elements. Um, so it does have some cultural significance there. Interesting. Where, where, where say more about that? Oh, it, it, it's just a thing um, because they've like they were introduced and they've continued to thrive in the urban environment. I think something that's like there's been a lot of plants that were introduced because some random president wanted them. I think very recently <laughs> in Mexico City, like there was a huge thing where they introduced a lot of um, palm trees and they all started dying um, and they had to remove them and everybody made a big stink. But because they had some like fungus and it's like, yeah, these were just really never meant for the region. And even though that mm-hmm. they were forced to survive for that long by like very quite a bit of care like ultimately time got the better of them but like jacarandas have managed to continue like being very prolific in the city yeah interesting i guess that is always a challenge for you know what and and probably when they planted them they didn't know because there wasn't there like you know 100 years ago there weren't cities like we have them today um, well, maybe some of them were even worse as far as air pollution back then. But it's like, and what, what plants are going to spread or what plants are going to thrive in an urban environment is probably an open question and clearly, yeah, something that is not uh, known. But yeah, the jacaranda has, has done well. Yeah, no. And like, as you mentioned, like the the quantity of air pollution in Mexico City is like a pretty polluted city. Um, and so having 
something thrive there despite that is pretty nice. And I think like when they were planning this out, when they when they first introduced them, the population density and the density of cars was nothing like what what it is now. Right, right. Interesting. Well, yeah. Well, good job, Pacarandas, for um for being so uh, resilient and uh, and a symbol of of uh, of growth and and springtime in Mexico City. Yeah. Thank you for sharing about Hakaranda with me. Do you mind if I share a plant with you? Yeah, let's do it. So, so when I was choosing my plant, I'm you know I often try to make the plant I choose uh, related to the plant. Uh, the guest is choosing, and I don't always know if that's the case, but in this case, I chose it because I was walking with uh, with your sister, my wife, Carla, and uh, she she saw the f- the ground littered with these small white petals, and she's like, oh, what are those? And I'm like, oh, that's black locust is the name of the tree. So that's my plant, black locust. Um, and she kind of mentioned that, oh, that's kind of maybe this is like the hakaranda of this area. Um, and I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. I mean, the petals are much smaller. They're like not as big as the hakaranda flowers. Um, they're they're about the same size as like cherry blossom flowers, but they are a native plant. So we have a lot of cherry blossoms around here too, and you do get that effect with the cherry blossoms. But the cherry blossoms don't spread in the wild like the black locust flowers do. So at this, you know, at the like May time frame, the black locusts are in bloom when they start to fall. Like you get these areas that just get covered with these little white petals, and it's a very pretty look. Not quite as as like I think as intense as in Mexico City because one the there's a lot more jacarandas there, but also the, the the flowers are bigger, so they have a better effect. But it is still a pretty cool effect, so that's why I chose it. I was like, oh, this is if you had to pick a, a tree in this area that is like the equivalent to the jacaranda, it would probably be the black locust. And that's before I realized that the leaves were kind of similar. Um, so let's talk about the leaves real quick. The leaves of the black locust are pinnately compound, and as I said before. That means they, a compound leaf is a leaf that is made up of, of smaller leaflets. And this is kind of an interesting, sometimes hard to describe, at least for me, thing in plants. Um, the most maybe iconic thing of a, of a leaflet, uh, we talked about in the last episode about poison ivy, which is like leaves of three. Those three leaves that come off the poison ivy are actually a... a those are three leaflets attached to one large leaf. So like the way that the, they connect the main stem... It's one leaf made up of three leaflets, not just three separate leaves. Um, whereas the the black locust has a very long um, compound leaf that has uh, coming off the center these um, these compound leaflets, and then the hakaranda has extra leaflets coming off the leaflets. So that's what makes it bipinnately compound. So um, yeah, um, but yeah, the black locust tree is pretty interesting. Um, it is a native plant to kind of the east coast of the United States where I live. Um, it has these really beautiful white flowers. Um, it is in the pea family. So it's a fa- Fabaaceae, I forget how to say that, which is interesting. Um, and because it's in that, it's a, in the legume and pea family, it is, uh, has the ability to fix nitrogen from the air. It has the same kind of um, nitrogen nodules that... Um, that those kind of legumes has. And so it can actually improve the quality of soil, which is pretty cool by fixing nitrogen from the air. It's actually the, the relationship between the plant and some beneficial bacteria that live in the roots that can do that. Um, so a pretty cool tree. 
Um, when when they grow as saplings, this is pretty interesting, they have thorns, really sharp, long thorns. But as they turn into a real big tree, they lose the thorns and kind of just look like a tree. So that's kind of an interesting defense mechanism. Um, let's talk about the name. The name is interesting, Black Locust. Locust is a weird word to call a tree because, like, we think of locust, we think of, like, the... What do you think of when you think of locust? Invasion, an invasive species. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is weird. Like, yeah, because it's the name of a bug that does horrible damage. Um, I, the reason why this tree is called the black... So it's called the black locust because its bark is quite dark, okay? It's called the locust because, like many plants in the American continent... When the Europeans got here, they're like, hey, that looks like the tree I remember from Europe. We're just going to call it that. So there's another tree in Europe that is called the locust tree that looks kind of similar. And so they just called this the locust here, even though they're not related at all. They're not the same genus. They're not, they just kind of look similar. The locust tree in, in Europe is, is also called the carob tree, which uh, if you've heard of carob, it's like a chocolate substitute. Anyway. The story of why the locust tree in Europe is called locust is even more confusing. It has to do with, there's a line in the Bible about John the Baptist living in the wilderness and surviving on wild honey and locusts. And people, I think, thought he was eating bugs, but he probably was eating the pods of the locust tree, the carob tree. Mm. But why those are called locust, where that etymological link is, I could not find but we're not talking about the European locust. We're talking about the black locust. So I have an excuse of not solving that puzzle. Maybe someone else can come on who has a connection to that other tree. But it is funny because it has this name that is not really meaningful to it. Also, its scientific name is Robinia pseudoacacia. So pseudoacacia means false acacia because it kind of looks like the acacia tree. And then Robinia is named after a French dude named Jean Robin, I guess, or Jean Robin. And so this poor tree, nothing about its name is from Amer the Americas. It's a locust. It's named after this European thing, and its scientific name is a French guy, and it says it's the false version of another tree from, like, from like India. So that happens a lot, like, because everyone who came over named stuff, they were all Europeans when they decided to name it. And so they're like, oh, I'm just going to name this based off of uh, some dude I know <laughs> in Europe and some other descriptor about it. So um, that's pretty funny. Um, Okay, a couple last things about the black locust. Um, it is what is often called a pioneer species. So when you clear cut a forest or there's any place where the land has been like disturbed a lot, it's one of the first trees to come back. Um, and I think because of that, people tend to call it invasive. But it's a weird description of invasive because it's a native tree to like this part of the country. So... I don't think I agree with that. It does happen to like quickly colonize like disturbed areas. And if you try to grow other trees, it might outcompete them. But like, that's just what it does. Like that, I don't think that makes it invasive. Now, if you, if you, if it's, I, if it's been naturalized other places, I could see it being invasive, but yeah, it's, it just does its thing. And, uh, an interesting kind of side effect of that. I was, um, noticing the other day that when you see a really big, um, poison ivy plant more often than not at least in my area it's on a black locust tree and i was talking to someone about that and i was like hey what's the deal does 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 poison ivy really like black locust 
And the answer I got was, uh, this is from like a like a foraging guy around here. It's like, no, it's just because it's the first tree to grow. So it's probably the first tree that the that the poison ivy can start to go around. But maybe maybe there's something else going around that. But it makes sense. Like, poison ivy is also one of the, like first colonizers of the area. It tries to get height, so it finds the biggest tree it can find, and so it goes with the black locust trees. Interesting. Yeah. So when you mentioned the the flowers on the ground, I did recall having seen that here in New York City. So I quickly looked it up, and apparently, like there are quite a bit uh quite a few and there's like the the agent the conservancy that's in charge of um maintaining central park so they do consider it a native species and they no longer plant it within central park but it's apparently pretty prolific um and like one of the one of the things that they do with it apparently is that they the tree does provide durable wood and they build a lot of the rustic benches, fences, and structures using that wood in, in, in Central, Central Park. Park. Oh wow! Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that, but that actually leads into to some of my fun facts. Is it apparently, uh, it, it apparently is the uh, tree with the highest beam strength of any North American tree, which is really fascinating because it's like you think about wood spe- you think about timber species in from this area of the world, and you think about oak and hickory. But no one talks about black locust, I think, which is interesting. I think because the trees don't get quite as big, maybe. So if you're trying to make a, a board. Um, but but it has a really long history of being used as wood. So in the Jamestown colony, the houses were all built. At least the, the corner pillars of the houses were built out of black locust because it's really strong. It's also really um, rot resistant. So when you have something that's a post dug in the ground back in the day before pouring foundations or whatever, and you're like beam of your house was just dug into the ground you don't want wood that's going to rot and the black locust like doesn't rot even when it's in touch with the ground which is pretty cool also similarly it was used really uh um really well done in in shipbuilding i think because of the same reason that it's it's water resistant but also because it's so strong and this is i'm going to read this um this quote from an article that is from a guy named Wesley Green writing on live science. Um, and his article was was something about uh, the, the tree that shaped the United States, which is pretty interesting. And he says, uh, um, he said that when the British naval defeat in the War of 1812, I think in Lake Champlain, one of the reasons, this is the quote, one of the reasons circulated for the British Navy's defeat was that the English ships were built with oak nails that which are large pins or tr- trunnels that hold the wooden uh, parts of the ship together, while American ships were built with locust nails. As a result, when the cannonballs from the American fleet hit the British ships, those ships came apart. But when the shot from the British ships hit the American fleet, the ships held together. And the reason they lost the Battle of Plattsburgh Bay was because of black locust nails. And then the next quote is really great. It says, The very next year, the British began importing thousands of locust, locust nails to refit the British Navy. And by 1820, the Philadelphia market alone was exporting between 50,000 and 100,000 locust nails to England per year. And then the last line of this article is, As locust continues in export, even to this day, some would say we have been selling weapons to the enemy ever since. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Very dramatic. So I guess it had a really prolific use, um, the wood over time then. Yeah, yeah. And, may, and, may, and maybe, uh, this is just speculation, but you don't, ever, you don't see too many like massive black locusts now. Uh, you normally see them in areas that have been disturbed, and now they're coming back slowly. But maybe it's because the really big ones that were here before have all been utilized, and maybe we don't have as many big ones anymore. Maybe that's why the market is not as good. But that's just speculation. Um, audience, if you know better than that, let me know. But yeah, I thought I, I didn't realize that. It's like a, 
a really amazing timber wood. Also, it is also um, has this like the highest BTU for firewood. They, they a cord. This is a quote from that same article. A cord of seasoned locust has the same BTU as a ton of anthracite coal. So really good for for you know better better to use locust wood than to burn coal apparently. Of course, you have to grow the locust wood. So, uh, but yeah, really a fascinating tree that I didn't know. And you know, it's everywhere around here. You like, I think when we were at my mom's house, it's all over her property. Like, there's one side of her property that is that is just all locust because it's a place that had been cut uh, yeah, maybe ten years ago, and it's just all the locusts. I was like uh, in there one time, and that's also where I got like four ticks because <laughs> it's like all like disturbed areas. But uh, but it's it's tough because they grow really thick together. And also, when they're young, they have the spines, so it's a pretty like hard thing to like get through. Um, but you know, in a in a natural forest, eventually some tall ones will win out, and some other species will come in. That's I think the natural cycle. But humans normally don't want to wait that long, and so they get annoyed at the black locust for kind of just taking over the whole um, the whole area. But it's good for that area because it improves the soil by fixing nitrogen. So really, really cool tree. But oh, no, that's really interesting. I, now I know whenever I see them like on the street, that's going to be now I know what that is. Yeah, keep an eye out. You probably, up in New York, you, you may still have some flowers, but but keep an eye out for those pinnately compound leaves because that's a pretty easy way to spot them. There's not many other trees that have that look around here. Um, there's some, like, uh, you know, plants that have been brought in from other countries, but as far as native trees, they're one, I think, one of the only. Um, last little tidbit is that uh, the flowers are edible, which is very cool. And... Uh, I've only, I have eaten them, I think this year, well, I think I've, this is the first year I ate, like, a handful. They're very tasty. They have a little bit of, like, the, like, flavor of, like, a fresh pea, but they're a little bit sweeter. Um, but there's, a, I'll put a link in the show note, there's all sorts of, like, recipes for making jams and jellies and salads and all sorts of fun stuff with the flowers in there. Like, a very um, prized food for people who like to forage because they're really only ripe for, like, a week. So you got to, like, go in and get them and do what you're going to do with them pretty quick, and it's kind of like a fun celebration of spring as well. Oh, interesting. But so do they not actually produce, like, any sort of, like, peas? Is it just the leaves? Well, they, they, they no, they do. So the flowers, you know, and I was actually curious if you know anything about the hakaranda fruit, by the way, because, you know, it, every flower becomes a fruit. Now, what that fruit is, whether it's a weird little seed thing that you can't eat or, or whether it's really visible like an apple or not, in the case of the... Um, the black locust, it does make things that look like little tiny pea pods because it's in that family. So all those trees like that. Uh, I was talking about uh, red bud a few episodes ago, and it also makes these little pea pods. But the the little seed inside the pea pod is kind of like too small, I guess, to like really be fun to eat. I think it's technically edible, but that's not what people like. They like the flowers because they have this very nice, fragrant, sweet smell and stuff. But yeah, if they if you... You know, after the after the the flowers drop off, they'll start growing these seed pods. Okay, yeah. So the jacarandas do have like these like clamshell type brown things that have the little flaky leaves, the like flaky seeds inside them. Oh, interesting, um, interesting. So yeah, yeah I forget it, there, there's a word for that. That's but it's not like a yeah. I've seen, what are some other trees that are like that? It's, the fruit is more like a hard shelled thing. Yeah. Yeah, cool. kind of like flat. Right Hakaranda fruit. Do those also get messy too? I think they do, but because you still get like a lot of the debris falling out of them, but it's definitely oh, nothing compared to the actual flowers. 
Oh yeah, those are those are cool little like fruits. I don't know how to explain them. Uh, audience, you can Google them. I'll put a link in the show notes. But they're like yeah, little like flaky brown leafy things that have these little seeds that are also kind of have like a a membrane around them, so they can probably get blown around a bit easier. Pretty cool. Yeah. So apparently, I, and I just read this right now, is that they like the seeds are designed to be very self reliant. So like their way of spreading is literally just the wind. Cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's that's a uh, I wonder I wonder how well they spread in Mexico City or if most of them are still just planted like if it's a tree that can like colonize on its own in in outside of its native range or if it's uh like they're they really have to be planted there. Good question. Yeah. Yeah, I I've definitely seen like around trees like little sproutlings but whether they actually eventually grow past like little sprouts um that who knows yeah yeah it's always an interesting question of, like which which plants are really good at like actually um you know reproducing well and which ones aren't and there's a lot there's a lot of factors about about how that happens in in an in and outside of native ranges so yeah, yeah so that's that's super fascinating but i think that wraps it up for my chat about black locust uh so thank you for joining me on this episode of rootbound yeah, thanks for having me. It was really interesting learning about, about the black locust. The next step in the reclamation of the gully is the planting of suitable trees and vines to protect the sides from washing. This scene shows CC boys planting black locust seedlings. The black locust is a hardy, rapid-growing tree with an extensive root system and is well adapted for this purpose. Just how effective planting of black locust may be is shown by this stand of four-year-old locust in western Tennessee. Four years after dams were built and seedlings planted, the reclamation of this gully is well advanced. The material of the original brush dams is now rotted, but grass has gained a foothold in the soil anchored by the roots of the locust trees, and erosion is checked. Here's a dazzling detail about black locust that I didn't get to when we were talking with Angel earlier, and that has to do with a kind of beetle called the locust borer, scientific name Megasilene Robinae. And this is, uh, if you might remember that the uh, uh, black locust's scientific name is Robinia pseudoacacia, and that Robinae is named after the same guy, and it's because these locust borers are directly uh, attacking the black locust. And these are a native uh, locust borer. It's not like some of the other things, like the ash borer that was imported from another place. These are a a native bug. Um, But because they have like such this impact on the black locust, apparently it's hard to grow black locust outside of their native range. Uh, there is a, um, a quote, which I'll read its entirety here from Wikipedia. That is, that is what caught my eye and said, I want to share this with you. It says, in 1900, due to attack of the uh, locust borer, the value of the black locust was reported to be practically destroyed in nearly all parts of the United States beyond the mountain forests, which are its home. Were it not for these beetles and their larval tunnels promoting fungal infections, it could be one of the most valuable timber species that could be planted in the northern and middle states. Now, you remember that that black locust is like a really, really hard wood and it was really valuable timber. But because of this beetle, young trees grow quickly and vigorously for a number of years, but soon become stunted and diseased and rarely live long enough to attain any commercial value. So that, uh, that actually makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I was noticing that you see black locust seedlings everywhere, and they kind of like pop up very weedy, but you rarely see a really, really large black locust. And I speculated in the episode that maybe, 
you know, they were over harvested at some point. But it turns out it might have to do with this beetle that when the tree is growing outside of its native range and maybe the beetle doesn't have enough other kinds of uh, other native things to control it, uh, that it uh, uh, damages the black locust too much. So that was a really interesting, dazzling detail that I missed about the black locust. Now a dazzling detail about the hakaranda that we also missed. Sometimes, apparently, the hakaranda is known as the exam tree. And it also uh, is known to cause purple panic. Yes, uh, it's a kind of a funny thing. Uh, apparently in Queensland, Australia, uh, when it is around time to take your exams is also the time when the hakarandas are blooming. And therefore, the panic that you get around the time of exams is the purple panic uh, uh, illustrated by the hakarandas in bloom and covering everything in purple petals. So I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, the hakaranda, a.k.a. the exam tree, which causes purple panic down there in Queensland, Australia. And with that, I think we can end this episode of Rootbound. Thank you for listening. My guest on this episode of Rootbound was Angel Gomez. Angel is a software engineer working on AR and VR. He's also my brother-in-law. If you like Rootbound and you want to help support the podcast, visit rootboundpodcast.com slash support to find all the ways you can support the show, including supporting it on Patreon. That would be super cool. Rootbound is hosted by Purple Panic podcaster Steve Ellington. Music by Christian Kriegeskota. Fake ads by David Lani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but if you can go outside, maybe you could take a trip to Mexico City and enjoy the jacarandas in spring. It's not Spanish, it's not moss, but it is dangly.